It's Monday, March the 2nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Biden wins South Carolina and China's PMI plunges. First, the world in brief. Pete Buttigieg ended his bid for the Democratic nomination after faring poorly in South Carolina, where former Vice President Joe Biden won decisively. His victory has re-energized his presidential campaign ahead of Super Tuesday, when more than a third of Democratic delegates will be selected. Bernie Sanders came a distant second in South Carolina, but holds leads in California and Texas, two big prizes up for grabs tomorrow. In a sign that COVID-19 and the measures to combat the disease's spread are having a bigger-than-expected impact on the global economy, China's Purchasing Managers Index fell to a record low, below that recorded at the depth of the financial crisis in 2008. The index fell to 35.7, where any figure below 50 indicates a contraction in activity, much lower than the figure of 45 that economists were forecasting. America identified nearly 90 cases of COVID-19. Two patients with the disease have died in Washington state, where a cluster of cases is centered around a nursing home near Seattle. Airlines are cancelling flights to high-risk countries, while Donald Trump announced that travelers who do arrive from Iran, Italy and South Korea would be screened for the virus. In an unexpected announcement to France's National Assembly, the French government decided to push through its controversial pension reforms by decree. The flagship economic policy of President Emmanuel Macron, which aims to combine the country's 42 different pension plans into one points-based system, had already provoked the longest public transport strike in France's history, even before it was presented to the legislature. Greek police fired tear gas to repel hundreds of migrants throwing stones, metal bars and tear gas canisters who sought to force their way across the border from Turkey. The Turkish government announced on Thursday that it would no longer restrain hundreds of thousands of asylum seekers in its territory from reaching Europe, ripping up an agreement with the European Union from 2016 promising to do so. The King of Malaysia swore in Muhyiddin Yassin, a Malay nationalist politician backed by the corruption-tarnished former ruling party, as the country's new prime minister. The new government comes a week after the previous premier, Mahathir Mohamad, had resigned in a futile bid to consolidate his power. Dr Mahathir promised to call a vote of no confidence in the new government. And the Swiss government filed a criminal complaint over the alleged use by America's Central Intelligence Agency of a cryptography firm as a front to spy on several government secret communications. The complaint follows recent media reports exposing Operation Rubicon, which for decades involved America's and Germany's spy services covertly reading other nations' secret messages encoded with technology sold by Crypto AG, a Swiss firm. And now, here's today's agenda. Infected, COVID-19 and stock markets. Last week, markets woke up with a jolt to the threat posed to the global economy by the spread of COVID-19. Markets had been riding high. As recently as February 19th, American shares were at record levels. When last week was out, Japan's Topics Index had fallen by 9.7%, the Euro Stocks 50 by 12.4%, and America's main index, the S&P 500, by 11.5%, its biggest weekly loss since 2008. 
The plunge reflects past complacency that the virus could be contained within China. That hope now looks forlorn, with major outbreaks reported in Iran, Italy, South Korea and Japan. Over the weekend, China's Purchasing Managers Index fell to a lower level than at the depth of the financial crisis in 2008. But Asian markets opened higher this week, presumably on hopes of stimulus from central banks. Yields on American Treasury bonds fell to nearly 1%, a record low. An open question, the Vatican and the Holocaust. From today, historians and in due course the public will be able to read Pope Pius XII's archives from the Second World War and make up their own mind over his stance towards Hitler and the Holocaust. Critics have asserted that he knew about the mass slaughter of Jews and should have denounced it openly. Defenders of Pius, including Sir Martin Gilbert of Oxford University, who was Jewish, have insisted that he worked hard behind the scenes to protect and shelter Jews. Open denunciation, they argue, would have been counterproductive. Pius has been honoured by the Church, receiving the status of Venerable in 2009 in a process that could lead to his canonization. Critics of the Holy See say it should not have started this procedure until his full wartime archives were opened. Last year, when announcing the decision to do this, Pope Francis said the Church is not afraid of history, but rather she loves it and would like to love it more. Talking Turkey or Playing Chicken – EU-UK Trade Talks Trade talks between Britain and the European Union begin today. Though both sides share the goal of a free trade agreement with no tariffs and no quotas, there are huge differences over how to reach it. And with Boris Johnson's government insisting on a December 31st deadline, little time is left. The biggest fight will be over fair competition. Britain says it has no intention of exploiting Brexit to undercut EU rules. Indeed, it often has higher standards. Yet the ability to diverge from EU regulation is a main justification for Brexit. The EU's response is that to allow Europe's second biggest trading partner unfettered trade access without a level playing field could undermine the EU's single market. Most diplomats expect weeks of posturing, but Mr Johnson is threatening to walk out of the talks in June if they are not making enough progress. Some seasoned observers put the odds of no deal at nearly 50%. Third time lucky, Israel's election. Israelis are going to the polls today for their third parliamentary election in less than a year. The two elections held in 2019 failed to yield a clear winner with the embattled Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu losing his coalition's majority. However, his challenger Benny Gantz failed to cobble together a coalition of his own due to political fragmentation among the opposition. Mr Netanyahu, facing multiple indictments of corruption and a trial date in just two weeks, has launched a ferocious smear campaign against his challenger, including sexual innuendo and unwarranted jibes about his mental health. The polls show a slight swing towards his Likud party, but not enough to win a majority and break the political deadlock. Opposition parties are concerned that false rumours of an outbreak of COVID-19 will be spread to suppress voting in their strongholds. This has been an ugly campaign, and worse may yet be in store. A dangerous gift, Guyana's oil-soaked election. 
Today, Guyana will hold its first general election since oil began to flow from vast offshore deposits. With 8 billion recoverable oil-equivalent barrels in just one block, energy could transform South America's third poorest country into one of its richest. But rancorous politics could make it hard to spend the proceeds wisely. The election is a delayed response to a vote of no confidence in 2018 in the government of President David Granger. His A Partnership for National Unity represents mainly Afro-Guyanese voters. His main rival is Irfan Ali, the candidate of the mainly Indo-Guyanese People's Progressive Party. Both parties talk of governing for all Guyanese, but war over how to manage the oil revenues. The PPP vows to repeal the law creating Guyana's sovereign wealth fund and replace it with something better. A third party, perhaps one representing mainly indigenous voters, could break the main party's duopoly. Some observers fear post-election violence. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Norman Sinjin Stevens, who passed away on this day in 2012. I was so thrilled, I attempted to mount my television. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.